The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. I'm Benjamin Sisko, commander of Deep Space Nine. My name is Mokbar. I'm the Archon representing the Cardassian Empire in its case against Miles O'Brien. Now, what are the charges against Chief O'Brien? The charges will be announced when the trial begins, as is customary in Cardassian jurisprudence. How can we prepare for the trial if we don't know the charges? Mrs. O'Brien, I take it? Yes. Mrs. O'Brien, there's nothing for you to prepare. Your husband's verdict has already been determined he is guilty. The trial will reveal how this guilt was proven by the most efficient criminal investigation system in the quadrant. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, December 15, 2011. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. Oh, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and we've got a real special show for you today as we discuss the criminalization of speech, changes to the Human Rights Code, Section 13, slap-happy suits with uh, slap suits, I guess people are being slap-happy with slap suits as a way of restricting speech. And joining us in the studio today are no strangers to our show, it's their third appearance, Mark and Connie Fournier, owners-operators of freedominion.ca. Welcome to the show, guys. Morning. Good to be here. Well, you've got a story to tell, don't you? Now, the basic thing is you both operate freedominion.ca. It's a conservative online discussion board. Is that how you would describe it? Yes, conservative, even with libertarian leanings. We uh, discuss things like mm-hmm. generally you'll, if the issue is tax, we'll be on the low tax side, less government interference. Sure. Along those lines. Well, you've been on the show twice before, and... Uh, I tell you, I don't know what's been going on with you guys lately, but one of those shows, your earliest appearance on our archives, has been downloaded like tens of thousands of times over the last year or two, almost 5,000 times in one month alone during the summer. That's wow. good to hear. And um, it's, it's a top-riding show, so whatever your issue is, it certainly is attracting a lot of attention. Why don't you tell us your story? Like, where, Do you remember where we, picked, where we left off last time? We were talking a little bit about the suits, but... Uh, Maybe some background first. Yeah. Okay, the background is uh, we began running Free Dominion in uh, 2001, January of 2001. It's the uh, longest-running, most popular political discussion forum in Canada. We uh, we do come from the right, libertarian right. Uh, we were doing okay until about uh, 2007 when we were hit with a human rights complaint. The... The human rights complaint, there was a fellow named Bill Whatcott who's recently been in the news. He had a Supreme Court case was just heard. And uh, Bill Whatcott had uh, constructed some flyers that he was handing out in the street out west. And uh, he put up a link on our website, Free Dominion, directing people to another website. And uh, somebody, one of the people that he handed the flyer to, b- b- decided she was quite offended by it. So she went to the Human Rights Commission to complain about Bill Whatcott. When she got there, the Human Rights Commission uh, convinced her, instead of going after Bill Whatcott, to go after us in Free Dominion because there was a link on our site. So they did. 
And uh, now you didn't put the link there. No, no, it, we weren't actually even aware it was there. Mm-hmm. We we have like 1.5 million posts, so there's no way we can monitor them all. But because this link was there, it was it was obvious that we were being targeted by the commission. Now I thought that the commission was set up to address or redress uh, people's complaints, ordinary citizens complaints against particular so-called hate speech. Now, what you're telling me is that the Human Rights Commission is not simply doing that. It's actively going out and seeking individuals, organizations, websites that it doesn't particularly like, and asking individuals to, on their behalf, more or less, to uh, make the complaint for them. Is that right? They actually had to do that because there really is very little hate in Canada. Yeah. It, uh, they say they're like their prime Mary boogeyman is the Nazis. But in your real life, have you ever ran into a Nazi? You ever been to a political party where you know, a political event where somebody came up to you and said, "Hey, come join the Nazi party"? They they don't exist. They Never. Died, and you know something? They died sixty years ago. The four people around this table are deep in Canadian politics. Yes. And we don't see it. Never. Never. You don't hear somebody say, oh, "I was in the pub the other day, and another one of those Nazis came up and tried to get me to join the party." It just doesn't happen. So they've got a, a really they're hunting ghosts, and they're using these ghosts to take away the rights of all Canadians. So you left off at, in uh, 2007. This woman was directed by the HRC to file a complaint against a link on your site. Now, a link. A link. Not anything that was said, but no. a link to another site. A link to a, another site where, where the, mm-hmm. there was a digital version of the, uh, of the, the flyer that had been, had been distributed. So uh, the woman who originally went after Whatcott listened to the CHRC and changed the focus of her complaint to us. And uh, But then she had second thoughts about it and decided she didn't really want to do this. So she went back to the CHRC, and it was right before a, an artificial deadline that the CHRC had set up. And it was the day before, and she told them, I don't want to do this. I want to back out. I want to drop this. So instead of dropping it, what they did is they quickly generated a letter to us and overnighted to it, it to us so it would get in just under the wire and keep the case alive. But uh, the, the woman who complained went back to them again and said, look, stop this. I don't want to do it. So they did. About a month later, they did stop it. But as a result of that, of course, there was a big hoofah on Free Dominion and beyond over the, over the fact that they were coming at us. So we began to talk about the Human Rights Commissions in general. And that's where we really started getting into trouble. So before this, the Human Rights Commission, Section 13, Human Rights Tribunal, those kinds of things were... They weren't on our radar screen. They weren't it, even talked about, right? No, no. We Probably minimally. In, in a way, we're kind of embarrassed that we didn't know what was going on before mm. that. But it wasn't until we were under attack that we had to start paying attention ourselves. So we did. That's how a lot of people discover these things. Exactly yeah. so. So the conversation raged, and of course we celebrated when it was dropped, and yay, the good guys won. And there was a long thread about that, where we were celebrating, and... Uh, as a result of that thread, the commission was talked about quite a bit, and the uh, the main complainant of that commission, Richard Warman, was mentioned uh, repeatedly. You can't talk about one without the other. And at that point, I should probably turn it over to Connie because she was the one that received the first mm-hmm. email from Richard Warman. Now, Richard Warman, before you start, Connie, Richard Warman, as I understand it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was actually a previous employee of the Human Rights Commission of Canada? Yes, I believe he was an employee there until 2004. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was an investigator at that time. He was he was going to websites and uh, finding um, 
people who identified themselves as Canadians and uh, posting messages uh, pretending to be a white supremacist, etc., and and gaining their trust in order to to sort of find out their identity so he could file human rights complaints. You see, that's where them. all the Nazis are, all the people pretending to be white, <laughs> white supremacists. That's right. Yes, yes, I, I, I suspect that in a lot of cases when you when you find a group of so-called Nazis, a, a lot of them are people there to investigate themselves. But, the majority. <laughs> yeah. So, um, of course, this came up on Freedom Union in the discussion of the Human Rights Commission. So, I got a letter from Mr. Warman saying um, there's this information on your site about me and, and I believe it's defamatory and I'd like you to take it down. And uh, in the meantime, we had banned uh, the main person who, who was posting this stuff because he, he really seemed um, kind of over the top in his postings and, and we didn't trust him. And so I had no idea about who Mr. Warman was or, or anything about the CHRC. So I took him at his word and I said, okay, fine, you know, we'll, we'll delete those posts and, and you know, whatever. <laughs> so a few days later, somebody else signed up and wrote something similar. And I got another email from Mr. Warman and he said, I thought you understood that I don't want this on your website. You've got to watch for this kind of defamatory stuff on your website and deal with it. And what he just phoned you up like that? He sent me an email. Or sent you an email, and did he operate under some authority? Like he had some kind of, you know... He represented himself as an Ottawa lawyer. We've since learned at the time he did at that point. He did have a law degree, but he wasn't a practicing lawyer. But he was representing himself as a human rights lawyer and uh, said, said as much. And we thought, well, here's a guy, he's a lawyer, you know, he's saying this stuff's defamatory. We don't trust the person who put the stuffs up, so... You know, we can work with this. It's not our habit to take things down. We, we, it's an archive, a historical archive. But in this case, we thought, ah, oh, we can be a little bit flexible. But when it was reposted, then he came back with a much more aggressive attitude. And it was at that point we began to wonder. I mean, we're not we're not lawyers ourselves, and we can't. We don't know all the history. We can't determine whether or not this stuff is defamatory. But what if it isn't? What if the, really what this guy is trying to get us to do is hide his past? So we began to look into, we had, we were forced to. He, he did file, that was the first of his lawsuits against us, first of four. And uh, so we were forced to look into what's really going on here. Now who was suing you, Richard Warman or the Human Rights Commission? Richard Warman as an individual. As an individual. Yes, yes. The, the Human Rights Commission, our problems with them ended when uh, Ms. Gentis uh, dropped her complaint against us. So, so that was over. But their ex-employee has been pursuing us for four years now. Now has any of this gone to a trial where one can say definitively whether or not the allegations against Mr. Woman are true or false? Four, not yet. Four years we've been at it, and we're not even close to a judge yet. Okay, so just, just to get it out there, maybe even to cover our own particular yes. uh, behinds, I'd like to say that any comments about Mr. Woman have yet to be proven. Yes. Okay. Yes, they Let's have. Get that it, out it, there. David, this all has to go to court. We've got uh, four lawsuits against us. He flew... He filed against us and eight John Doe's anonymous posters. We uh, we got, he wanted us to, just in the strength of his accusation of our anonymous posters, uh, turn over their private registration information, and we wouldn't do that. We, uh, we, we 
took the position that we were obligated to protect our the privacy of our posters. They had an expectation of privacy. This ended up in a motion in court and uh, to determine whether or not we had to. We lost. But we then appealed it to the divisional court, and uh, as a result, they actually gave us more than we hoped for, They uh, more than we asked for. They, uh, they told us that we didn't have to turn it over, and, uh, and they created a new four-part test. So the way it's been, because law... So you've is, set a precedent here in a yeah, way. Yes, so yeah, we made law. Excellent. It, uh, precedent law. Mm -hmm. the, uh, before this began, because the Internet's a new and evolving um, mode of communication, all anybody had to do is go down and pay $150 to file a, a defamation claim, and they automatically had the right to the information of the anonymous poster whether the person was guilty or not. This was immediately opened, opens up abuse because if you want to get somebody, you just find out, you file for 150, you get their private information, and then you drop the, the charges, and there, there's no downside to you. But meanwhile, outing somebody on the Internet can be a really serious now, thing. When you say private information, what do you mean by private information? Na information... Like your life story or...? Indirectly, yes, because if somebody signs up as... John Doe, and his real name, it, it, that's not his real name. And you, they can connect John Doe with his real name. People have a habit of using the same alias around the Internet. So they could be in an argument over politics and somebody says, I'm defamed, and John Doe is outed. Well, John Doe may also be, maybe perhaps he has, he's having alcohol problems and, and he's, uh, he's talking on an Alcoholics Anonymous site. Or it's a woman who's in an abusive relationship and she's reaching out on the internet. Suddenly, all of that is exposed. Okay, so by personal information, it's literally what those people did themselves, however, put online. Yeah, it is linking it's their anonymous... It's not like going into their homes or, or backgrounds or anything like that. It's the linking of their internet anonymous ID, identification that they've put up to who they really are. And that's a very serious thing in today's world in the internet. If somebody went in on, on their real name and, defa and defamed somebody and were guilty. The court would deem so. They'd have to apologize and they would have to pay a fine or whatever. But if somebody does it anonymously and then they're outed, it's like they're double punished because then all anything that they've said anywhere on the Internet suddenly is tied to their name. And that's where, like, the, say, an AA site or somebody belongs to a certain religion that they want to keep or, or, you know, their political views, that suddenly all becomes in the public domain. Now, so it's a serious be, punishment. Just to be the devil's advocate here, or maybe not, because this is an issue that seems to, it's, it's intriguing me, maybe there are situations where an anonymity is not advisable. I can see with the cases that you're talking about where it may be advisable, um, like you said, an alcoholic talking about an, uh, or abused uh, woman. an alcoholic site or an abused woman talking about her particular situation. I can see that. But we're talking about Canadian political dis discussion here, whether or not we should have Section 13 in the Human Rights Act or not, things like that. Why hide behind an anonymous uh, moniker for that? There's a lot of really, really real reasons. Uh, take example, the teachers' union. They have some very strong political views, and they're very powerful. If there's a teacher that's online taking an opposing view, it could hurt him at, hurt him at his job. It could. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not saying that anonymity should be sacrosanct. If somebody is demonstrated on our site that they broke the law, 
using and we're hiding behind anonymity, we have no obligation to protect them. Sure. We didn't set that site up for people to use it to break the law. But what we're saying is until it's demonstrated that somebody's broken the law, you shouldn't be able to just go spend $150 and expose their whole Internet life. Now, that's what the Federal Appeals Court actually decided, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That you have to show some sort of actual damage or there is reasonable grounds for the defamation to go forward before you actually reveal that IP, right? Yes, Connie, the four-part test. <laughs> well, listen, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's get to that four-part test right after this break, okay? We'll be okay. coming back from this, because this whole idea of slap suits is really interesting, and we got a, an, a sample of one here that's a little bit different that comes out of the United States from the show Boston Legal on the other side of this bumper, and I think it might fit into what you're talking about. Take a break, and we'll be right back after this. You know, you scientists constantly amaze me. You're always in the wildest places, living the most hair-raising adventures, and yet you go about it as though you were in your own library. We're like you, Mr. Ellis. We must see for ourselves. Do you sometimes see something you'd rather not? Yes. Sometimes the truth is hard to take. I guess you newspaper guys don't worry too much about the truth. Oh, we get used to it. Except when it concerns people, politicians, and parasites. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honor. If Mr. Fleming feels aggrieved by the way he's portrayed in my client's campaign commercials, then let him counter it with commercials of his own. As Justice Brandeis said, the best antidote to false speech is more speech. It's not surprising Brandeis would say that. He was a well-known drunken pedophile. No, he wasn't. That's right, he wasn't. I made it up. Does anyone have a problem with me making provably false accusations about honorable people just so my side can win? Because that's certainly their strategy. He's amazing. Yes, we're quite Your Honor, fond Mr. of him. Mr. Shore is asking that you impose prior restraint on speech, and not just any speech, but the robust dialogue of a political contest. We don't do that in this country. If they took a song from the Beatles catalog and used it in a campaign commercial without permission, would you order the commercial off the air? Of course you would. It's an absurd analogy, Your Honor. What if they ran a campaign commercial with footage of this lovely young woman right here showering? Footage secretly taken with a lipstick camera mounted in her health club locker room. This is ridiculous. The point is, in all of those cases, we absolutely would see injunctive relief granted because those are rights worth protecting. And so is the right of Jack Fleming to have the truth told about his life. But how do we determine the truth, Your Honor? Would Mr. Shore have us establish a government department of veracity? Mr. Fleming already has a remedy available. It's called a slander suit. I'm curious. When one wins a slander suit, does a court award votes? Because that's the issue here. They're trying to cost him the election now, even if they have to pay him a few dollars years from now. Well, this has been fascinating, gentlemen. Kind of like debate night at Mensa. Mr. Gelman, that TV spot you're defending is emphatically vile. But Mr. Shore, he's right. Political speech is not subject to prior judicial review. And thank the Lord, it's all I'd ever do. We're adjourned. And we are back. <laughs> now, there's just an example of a slap suit used to try and keep a candidate from winning, even though you're willing to pay the price of losing after the election. So you can see how the courts can be used for mischief, really, isn't it? Yeah. 
that's that's the problem. Now, and you were just telling, you were just talking before the break. We're with Mark and Connie Fournier, by the way, if you're just tuning in, owners, operators of freedominion.ca, who are, well, who have been several times um, finding themselves targets of individuals, even, uh, trying to stop them from allowing other people to post to their site. It's almost out of the outer limits and twilight zone in a way. So tell us what the four... Uh, criteria are, if you can remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, what the divisional court said is that uh, you have to prove that you have tried to find the information on your own. Um, you have to uh, show that you have a prima facie case of def- defamation. Um, so they, they have to believe that you actually have a case. And um, they also have to consider... Um, freedom of speech in uh, in making the decision. That was the important one. Yeah, that, that was actually the part that we didn't ask for. Wow. And I'm, I'm missing one. Yes. <laughs> but I, I, I can't remember off the top of well, my head. I, th- I think I might have actually kind of blended two together there. Yeah, certainly. So so you, you, you got basically that freedom of speech one's a biggie, especially It's if, very important. Now, why did the judge suddenly decide to put that in there if it wasn't being specifically sought for, or because, wasn't an argued point. Because one of the arguments that our interveners made in that case was that um, freedom of speech uh, de- is dependent on anonymous speech. A lot of the freedoms that we have today are a result of anonymous speech in our history, and that um, people should be able to make their political opinions known without necessarily having to to sign their name to it. And so they thought, and obviously the judges thought as well, that it was it was worth putting that in there because um, it's it's a valuable right. Yeah, as it said before, it was just it was a rubber stamp. If you file a, a lawsuit, you instantly get the information and they did the just the outing factor alone that mm-hmm. the courts considered and realized that it's a big thing now to somebody. That wasn't that wasn't a factor 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, when no, the, these laws were more operative. It, so it's much more difficult now, and it should be. You can't just... It, it takes away a lot of the abuse, room for abuse. Now, the court actually awarded you costs in that particular situation too, didn't it? Yes, they yes. did. And that precedent has already been used. Um, yes. There, there was a case where, um, just recently, where a mayor was... Aurora. Was Aurora. It, Aurora, Aurora right. And uh, she was a mayor or a mayoral candidate? I she think was she was a mayor, a mayor running for re-election. And she was suing a, a blogger and trying to get the identities of, of some of the people that posted on that blog so that she could sue them for defamation. Sounds just like the clip we just played. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And... Uh, and they cited our divisional court case and turned her down and would not give her the identities of the the posters and the suit was dropped so some good has already come of it so are you in a position then to say that maybe the day of this the slap suit has been limited to some degree because of this or or do you see that just still going on a base? not the slap suit no. this isn't a slap suit well, I don't well think, was it? yeah but this isn't it kind of we is, can argue it? that it is but uh but it's, it's mischief as far as i see it yes. i don't see any 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 substance to it so to me any suit without substance it is a harassment, is, is harassment. It, yeah it's, it is broadly yeah. speaking a slap slap suit no. quebec's way ahead of us actually we haven't even defined for our listeners what a slap suit is it is S-L-A-P-P. Correct. And it stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. 
and it is in essence a um, intended to censor, intimidate, and silence critics by burdening them with the cost of a legal defense until they abandon their criticism or opposition. A maximum disruption thing. Yes, and uh, and the problem is that it is very effective, and and it's a it's a good way to to get people to to stop political speech. Um, for instance, we have another lawsuit that was launched against us by a, a different individual, a blogger, and uh, we took it to court and asked for summary judgment because it was a ridiculous lawsuit. For dismissal. And, and asked, yeah, d dismissal, same summary thing. Summary dismissal, yes. And uh, so we, we went to court and we asked for that and the judge um, instantly dismissed the case and, and awarded us costs. And um, then the, the, the uh, litigant on the, the other plaintiff. side, the plaintiff, decided to appeal it. And so the result of that is when you have a lawsuit against you, even when you're awarded costs, you never get 100% of your costs back. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we got about a quarter of our costs back. And even though it was thrown out of court that, and we, yeah. we didn't even have to have a full hearing because it was such a ridiculous suit, we're in the whole uh, about $20,000 for that and now he's appealing it and so you when you look at that it's it's really unjust because for, even if you don't have a valid lawsuit against somebody you can cost them tens of thousands of dollars by just suing them and even if you lose you know you have to pay your lawyer and maybe a percentage of their costs but now but if you've got lots of money it's worth it your only recourse then would be to sue the person back for your costs well, that's not even that. an you option. You can't do that. No. No. No, we can't. We've looked into that or tried to appeal the costs or, or whatever, and there's no real avenue in law for us to do that. So we're stuck with it. And they can just keep piling on. You know, it might cost them $5,000 to do their end of it and have it dismissed, and it costs us thirty. And it, nobody can stand up to that for long. We've, we've got it almost uh, in claims against us in these slap suits. We have almost half a million dollars that they're trying to get from us. Of course, we don't have it, but uh, it would totally break us. It would bankrupt us, and we believe that that's actually the goal. You know, in my research on slap suits, I found in Wikipedia, they even list Prime Minister Stephen Harper as having committed himself what they referred to as a slap suit against the Liberal Party of Canada. Apparently, uh, at the time, I don't know if people could think back this far, like six years or so. But um, Chuck Cadman, um, if you remember Chuck Cadman, I think yes. Canadian yes. Alliance of Reform. Um, Mr. Harper filed a suit against the Liberal Party after the, uh, the Liberal Party paid for trucks to drive through the streets, playing a journalist tape of Mr. Harper admitting he knew of so-called financial considerations offered to Mr. Cadman. So the Prime Minister slapped them with a suit to to get the trucks off the street while this, while there was a vote in the House of Commons that Mr. Cadman was integral in. So these slap suits are maybe not as uncommon as people think, especially if our Prime Minister is, according to Wikipedia, doing it. Yeah, that's the problem. There's, there's really no downside. And mm -hmm. like Mark alluded to a few minutes ago, they, they have actually addressed this issue in Quebec. And... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact wording of the legislation, but they, they do have slap legislation. And if you believe that somebody is slapping you, you can go to court preemptively and have a judge look at it. And there are penalties yes. if, if you 
have launched a slap suit against somebody and, and that suit is without merit. And I, I really think that we have to look at that in Ontario because... I'm amazed it's not like that already. Yeah, Quebec's I know. Quebec's leading the country mm-hmm. in this aspect. I understand yeah. that there are laws in several jurisdictions in North America mm-hmm. preventing slap suits or in some cases what they call baratry. Similar situations where harassment yes. through, through lawsuits. Yes. Yeah, slap suits originally... Uh, were used by big corporations to crush the little guy, mm-hmm. the little complainer. But now it's gotten more to the retail level. And uh, so just people on the street are, are put, putting out these retail slap suits to silence yeah. each other. I, we believe the ultimate goal is to completely silence the right. And I mean, in America, they're having that, uh, what's it called, the fairness doctrine and stuff. It's, a, it's along the lines of that. Uh, We've thought of just packing it in more than once. It's only natural. But when we think about it, if we do and just say we can't do this anymore, we're going to shut down free dominion, nobody would dare to come by and continue on with what we were doing and open up a, another version of it. Nobody in their right mind would, because they they would see what had happened to us. We had been completely crushed. Above this fairness doctrine, I, I understand what that is, is um, how often do you hear a so-called liberal talk show on the airwaves they never last or on tv (laughs) they can't last except maybe the cbc or or tvo um or or on the internet there are very few places that push and ask for open input onto the left-wing agenda they can't it's it's an impossibility for them and that's one of the reasons that that we drive them crazy they can't put they can't build a counterpart Mm -hmm. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour. We've got a break for station identification. This next uh, clip that we're going to be going to was taped about, or broadcast about a year, maybe 18 months ago, last year in 2010, on the old Michael Corrin show on the on the TBS network, or CTS network, sorry, not on the Sun network where he is now, and he's interviewing, of all people, Ezra Levant, and both of them have their own shows on the Sun network now, but they were talking at the time about the whole dry, tribunal process, the Human Rights Commission, and after the break, when we come back, you'll hear the two of them again talking about their expectations. Remember, this was about a year ago, of what would happen with Section 13, and we'll be talking about that too when we come back after this. Double jeopardy means if you're charged with a crime, you're tried once, and if you're acquitted, you don't have to, you're not tried and tried again until you're mm-hmm. found guilty. Not so in human rights commissions. Th- there are 14 human rights commissions in Canada. Theoretically, these uh, complainants could have gone to 14 different ones until they finally got their the jackpot. I, the person who was charged, how could they afford to go to northern Canada, western Canada? That alone was... Unless, well, the, the answer is, when you're Ted Rogers, you have some dough, and yeah. so you can do it. I've been lucky, God bless it, because of my supporters but on the internet. Most people charged, we must emphasize most that. Most don't even have a lawyer. Have no money, no lawyer, no power. None. Some, they're just ground into powder. And... I talked about what can happen. They can be fined. This Christian pastor in Alberta was fined $7,000. He doesn't have it, I can tell you. He's been, but the weird thing is not just the financial penalties. And I've seen cases, there was a recent case in the Canadian Human Rights Commission, a half million dollar payment, half a million dollars against the RCMP. Um, but to order someone to make a false apology, we can't even do that in criminal law. Paul Bernardo cannot be ordered 
by the criminal judge to apologize to his victim's families. It's just, it's not constitutional. And we know better than that because a false apology means nothing. Unless he truly meant it, we wouldn't want to hear it from him. So we have some common sense there also. These human rights commissions have the power. In fact, one of the things that the Edmonton Muslim Council wants from me for publishing the cartoons is for me to say the words, I'm sorry, I regret it. But I don't. They can't convince me. They haven't even tried. They didn't even write a letter to the editor. They didn't even try to convince me. They're trying to get the government to force me to say, I'm sorry. optimistic it's all going to be fine and it might not all be fine but for the first time in many years because this has been going on for some time i remember writing about scott brocky a printer uh, a, a decent man and i don't get, won't get into the issue now but uh, no one was willing to give him much attention or exposure now it is uh, being exposed for what it is should we be optimistic will the human rights commissions i mean we may disagree. I believe there's a place for them. I believe if someone is denied a job or a home because of their color or sexuality or religion, they should have some sort of recourse to law. And if the courts can't cope, don't have the time, maybe some form of commission, they've become a means of silencing contrary opinion. Will they be profoundly, radically reformed? I, I don't know about profound or radical, but I think that this hate speech provision we're talking about, I think its days are numbered. And here's why. The more people look at it, the more they're repulsed. Even the Toronto Star, which is quite a progressive newspaper, yesterday, their lead editorial said... Uh, we should only illegalize bigoted actions, not bigoted words. And I'm impressed that the Toronto Star said that because they get it. They understand that, I mean, as a newspaper, it's in their self-interest to have a free uh, debate. Mm. But they understand that there's a moral difference and a practical difference to feelings and ideas or hurting someone. And I think that... Uh, that the exposure of the McLean's case, my case to a small extent, this Reverend Bazan case, has made Canadians wake up and say, oh, there are human rights commissions? Because I don't think even 1% of Canadians had even heard of human rights commissions. Now it's maybe 5% who have heard of them. And they realize that they're actually not shields to protect people. They become swords to attack people. And I think that uh, now that the media momentum is there, from the left to the right, across the spectrum, a liberal member of parliament named Keith Martin has introduced a private member's motion to abolish this hate speech law pressurized by his leader and others in the party to drop that well but he hasn't and other mps in the liberal party dan mctague paul sabo have come to his aid welcome back to just right on chrw radio 94.9 fm where if you'd like to join the conversation you can call us at 519-661-3600 we're joined in studio with connie and mark fournier owners of freedominion.ca a conservative discussion board on the internet and we're talking about their particular problems in front of uh, the courts at the moment but before we get to that I'd just like to uh, bring you uh, some information on how you can contact us and freedom Union. of course you can go to their site at freedominion.ca and uh, see what's going on there for a political discussion you can go to uh, our site justrightmedia.org and look at all of our shows online they're all archived and this one will be archived later today as well or you can just find us on uh, facebook and you can find us on Twitter, and of course you can always give us your feedback at feedback at justrightmedia.org. So, Connie and Merrick, bring us up to date on your particular situation now. Okay, um, well we've talked a bit about uh, the three defamation suits that, uh, that we had against us uh, the last time we talked to you, and uh, we've um, talked a bit about the other defamation suit that uh, is now under appeal. That was um, number four. That, that, yeah, 
four or five. I, I can't remember the you order so of the last two. so many lawsuits getting confused. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> but the, the other one that we haven't talked about is um, a copyright case that Richard Warman has launched against us as well. Um, now, we mentioned that very briefly on your last appearance, and so, so what has happened since then? I, I don't recalled yeah, I think, it uh, because he hadn't filed it then. No, he, he, he didn't file he, it until April okay. of, of this past year. Oh, let's talk about that one then. So, yeah, so, so that's what's going on. Um, we actually are representing ourselves <laughs> In, in that case, court. in in federal court, um, we we have a lawyer for the for the other cases, but uh, you know there reaches a point where you just have to um, start to conserve resources once mm -hmm. you have to fight so many things. Um, so what what's happened with that is uh, he has asked. Uh, for I guess fines for us for having material of his on Freedom Minion. One was a court document of a speech that he gave um, that has also been submitted as as evidence in our other cases. Um, one was an article that was written by Jonathan Kay um, about him, and uh, the National Post settled with him and gave him copyright control. And there were excerpts of that on our site. And somebody hotlinked to one of his pictures from his website on our website as well. So those are the three issues that uh, that are coming up in the copyright case. And uh, so we had a, a motion hearing there, and and we had to go and represent ourselves. They were they were trying to have um, probably about half of my affidavit, my defense, removed before the judge who was hearing the case could see it. And uh, so we had to go and fight that ourselves, and and we managed to keep that information in there. So, um, so we're we're defending ourselves, and we're saying that this is just abusive process. And so we'll see where that one goes. There is one additional point that makes it that case important is uh, we feel we're in firm ground on all three counts. But the thing about the hot linking of the picture. Uh, it was an image source tag. There's no legislation for that in Canada, so we believe we're probably going to end up making law with that one too. Uh, it's been dealt with in a couple places down in the United States, and uh, in every time it's come up, they've firmly ruled in what would be our favor, that uh, hot linking to a picture on somebody else's site is not copyright violation. But we don't have that in law yet here, so we're hoping by the time we're done here we, that we will. Well, I'm surprised there's any copyright violation involved at all, even if they owned it and you printed it, because there's something called fair use. Yeah, so that's and, one of our defenses. And, and you know, <laughs> copyright, can you imagine if, if you couldn't put something copyright? That would end, that would end the inter oh, internet. Yeah. That's <laughs> the problem. Yes. And this is another prong of the slap suit uh, legislation that I see coming. If you can go and... Uh, go to a newspaper and say, I don't like this article that you wrote about me, so in order to settle this, you have to give me copyright control. Then you can go around and sue everybody who's who's quoted from that article on the internet. What what an efficient way of, but, of but, shutting but what down debate. what I don't debate. understand is I, I wouldn't have thought even the original owner of the copyright had that right to do that. So a subsequent owner does that, and, and he didn't even write the article? Well, who mm -hmm. knows what, what kind of a case he'll mm -hmm. have. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have any damages. He, he wasn't selling those things. We didn't sell those things. You know, in, in the case of the article, it was just excerpts. Um, so, but, but the, the problem is all of the, the time and effort and money that it costs to fight these things, and a lot of people wouldn't. Mm -hmm. they, they would just yeah. say, 
never mind. You know, I'll I'll Settle. I'll take it down and and I'll I'll pay you whatever it takes to get rid of this thing. And, and it, every time that happens, it strengthens their hand. Yeah, sure. and it's it's just chilling discourse on the internet. Everybody's now we have one more thing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. So are, are we up to date now with your court cases? And all yes. Because that's quite a lot. It's, it's yeah. a lot. You, yeah, you guys got your plates full, that's for sure. So at the root of all of this, can we go to Section 13 and say, this is the source of virtually every one of your problems? Absolutely. Yeah, either the section itself or the way that they were administrating it. It, it ultimately was the source that got us to where we are today. So Section 13, just to refresh people's memory, is an act or part of the Canadian Human Rights Act. Section 13.1 says it's a discriminatory practice for a person or group or persons acting in concert to communicate telephonically, that's over the telephone, or to cause to be so communicated repeatedly in whole or in part by means of the facilities of a telecommunications undertaking within the legislative authority of the Parliament. Here's Here's the point. Any matter that is likely to expose a person or persons to hatred or contempt by reason of the fact that that person or persons are identical on the basis of a prohibited ground of discrimination. So the key word there is likely to expose. What in the world can that be interpreted to mean is anybody's guess. That's the problem. But Section 13.2 then includes the Internet. So before it was simply the telephone. Now... It's the internet, and of course, everybody is on the internet. That's why this section 13 is becoming to prominence, because it was in law for 40 years? Yes, Um, it it was in law for a long time, and it was brought into law um, because an individual named Mr. Taylor had an answering machine that he would put messages on, and then he'd go out on the street and hand out little leaflets to people saying, call this number and hear my message. And the messages that he had on his answering machine didn't fall under um, hate propaganda in the criminal code. He he kept his messaging to the point where it, it didn't reach that limit. And they wanted to stop him, and there was nothing in the criminal code that would allow him to stop them to stop him. And so Section 13 was created specifically to get him, and they did. And then it... it it was probably just sitting there for for many years and and not used at all until they expanded it in 2001, I believe, to include the Internet. Yeah, freedom of information uh, requests have uh, revealed at the time uh, snail mail exchanges between the Attorney General of Ontario and of Canada talking about Taylor. And they were bemoaning the fact that he was being clever and he wasn't breaking the law. So they couldn't get him. So that's why they created Section 13. As Connie put it succinctly, Section 13 exists to punish people who haven't broken the law. If you had broken the, actually broken mm-hmm. the law, you'd be in a court. So by definition, if you're in front of a, a human rights commission, you've broken no law. But they, they then added, after expanding to the Internet, they added Section uh, 54. And that gave them the ability to punish people, to find them, to uh, ultimately have them imprisoned. That actually brings up a good distinction between the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal and commissions, they both are separate organizations, and proper courts of law. And the National Post has actually come out and enumerated several things which distinguish those two bodies from a proper court of law. And I'll just go down some of them and... 
I think our listeners are going to be absolutely flabbergasted at what they can get away with at human rights commissions and human rights tribunals. First of all, third parties not involved in the alleged offences may nonetheless file complaints. Can't do that in the court of law, apparently. Plaintiffs have sometimes been given access to the commission's investigation files and given the power to direct investigators. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. This is probably the most important one. Truth is not a defense. That's right. Isn't that appalling? Truth is not a defense at a Canadian human rights tribunal hearing. Another one, defendants are not always permitted to face their accusers. Normal standards for assuring the validity of evidence do not apply at a tribunal. Hearsay is admissible at a human rights tribunal and not in a court of law. And finally, the government funds the plaintiff, but the defendant is on his or her own. And I think we have two of those right here. <laughs> that's right. We've, yeah. we've discovered what that's like. It, uh, it, it, uh, as Ezra put it, Ezra Levant, the process is the punishment. And uh, particularly the part where there's no recourse, it can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend yourself against one of these, and you get not one penny back. And the plaintiff costs nothing. Interesting. You know that I also defended someone in front of a human rights commission, so I know what it was like. And I'll tell you, it's exactly like this next clip we're going to be hearing for a minute and a half from Deep Space Nine. I mean, the Cardassians have come to Ontario. Oh, you, can't let, you, you can't let it go with that, Bob. No. Bob is not a lawyer, and he actually was one of the, the, the first person to win a case. Yes. Didn't you? You were yes. the first person in Ontario, and this was, not Canada, but Ontario, win the first case against, or for the... Um, the defendant and, and in I the could human add, rights tribunal. And I could add, just before we go to break, that yes, my final argument for that case is now finally available online on my newly started blog, which I started just the day before yesterday, <laughs> robertmetz.ca, and you can see the whole thing there. And I'm telling you, I think that thing's going to go hot. But we'll be back right after this break. The offender will step forward and testify. I have nothing to say to this court. Under Cardassian law, you are compelled to testify. Step forward. This would be a good time to advise the offender. Advise him to do what? To confess. To throw himself on the mercy of the court, of course. I never heard of a Cardassian court showing mercy. That is not the point. Think of the children, sir. Allow them to see a glimmer of enlightenment as the offender realizes that the end is near. Let him use his last breath to show remorse. Do you wish to advise the offender at this time, Nestor? No, Madame Arcon. Very well, proceed, Mr. Kovac. Mr. O'Brien, were you abused as a child? What? Excuse me for asking, I'm merely trying to establish why a fine man like you could turn into a criminal. Perhaps you could help me. Sorry, no, I can't help, because I'm no criminal. Well... I tried. We're talking about Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act, and um, 
in studio with Connie and Mark Fournier. There's two developments, Connie and Mark, that have recently uh, come to light in the newspapers and that, and that which are against Section 13, and that is, first of all, the Warman-Lemire case. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I assume you're somewhat familiar. Oh, we yes. were in court yesterday, or the day before. That's right, Watching Wednesday. That. Watching that. Oh, you were there? You were right yes, there. we watched oh, it. Oh, very good. Yeah. And you can give us an insight into that. And then after that, if we can talk about um, a motion in Parliament to actually abolish it from the Human Rights Act and put it into the criminal code. Yes. So perhaps we can talk about the uh, Warman-Lemire case first. What do you know about it? That? And what do you know about it and how is that going to affect Section 13? Well, uh, Section 13 was declared unconstitutional by the tribunal in the Lemire case. And so what we attended this week was uh, the CHRC um, asking the federal court to overturn that because they, they want it to remain constitutional. And so we heard arguments from both sides. There were probably a dozen lawyers in the room arguing both sides of the issue. And uh, they were talking... Um, about things like the fact that uh, there was a 100% conviction rate of, of people who were charged under Section 13. And, and they were talking about some of the things that you talked about in the National Post and, and how it differed from a court and how um, it, it just is not a just process. And uh, so now um, the judge has reserved judgment and we're waiting to hear if he's going to support um, it being unconstitutional or if he's going to overturn that and send it back to the tribunal. It was interesting the, uh, the, for the people who wanted to keep it constitutional. Their, their main arguments were they couldn't say often enough how poorly the CHRC had administered it. It was a mea couple one time after another that we did an awful job, we did a terrible job, but please don't take Section 13 from us. They even told the judge that they'd be willing to have Section 54, which gives it its real teeth and the ability to find, take that away from us, but don't take away our Section 13. Well, given given the parameters that we just heard about Section 13, all those things you can't do, including truth not being a defense, how can you not? The you problem know? is they're talking about taking away the, the punitive um, monetary punishments, mm -hmm. but what they weren't concentrating on is the fact that uh, it's it's sort of standard to give a cease and desist order against the the person that the complaint's been filed against once they they lose which they inevitably inevitably do and these cease and desist orders are filed with the federal court and so basically they're told um, that they're never to post anything similar on the internet ever again and the moment they do, they're hauled into court for contempt of court, and, and they're court. put into prison. And and that's happened to several people. Um, so so it, it's not something that's just a, an inconvenience or or that it costs money. There are, there are real legal jail consequences well, to that, Section That's 13. interesting because that speaks to a debate you and I had yesterday, Robert, yes. when, when we were yeah. talking about Section 13. And I and I have an article here from the Post: Justice Minister reverses stance on hate speech law. And I had to question whether we were jumping from the from the frying pan into the fire, because if I read this correctly. They want to move all the same provisions of the criminal code or of the human rights uh, code into the criminal code, including tweaking the law to allow such things to get into the into the criminal court system. That is, 
Am I reading this wrong? I haven't read that article, but I've been saying for a couple of weeks now that when I heard uh, Mr. Nicholson talking about this in Parliament, I, I kind of got the creeps a little bit because he he started talking about the criminal code and I said, I hope this isn't a bait and switch. You know, make a big deal about uh, abolishing Section 13 and then sneak it into the criminal code well, when it, we're not paying it, attention. It would be a great way for the government to get rid of their, the, the publicity and the responsibility. Shove it into the court system where nobody will hear about it unless the odd person like yourself manages to get onto a radio show or something like yeah. that. On the that, other but, hand, though, there but again, in the court of law, you now, the truth is a defense. No, no, Hearsay no. Is not we acceptable. don't know that for sure because... What are the minor tweaks to the criminal laws? Against willful promotion of hatred and public incitement of hatred, clarifying that communicating means communicating by any means and includes making available. Yeah, but still, so, you, can, you cannot use hearsay in a court of law. You can, you, truth is a defense in a court of law. There is a restriction on third-party involvement right in a court now, of law. Right now. But they're not talking about removing any of these uh, things. Well, there has been a suggestion that. <laughs> that they would remove the obligation of the Attorney General or, or the the crown to have to approve um, these cases, though, before they go to criminal court, which is one of the one of the things that has protected people uh, in the past from fliv- frivolous uh, frivolous cases in under the criminal hate crime legislation, and and it was one of the things that um, kind of went awry with the the CHRC Section 13 because um, anybody could file, and and it was just up to the CHRC whether or not to send it on. And I agree, we have to be vigilant. As, and be very careful that they don't try to slide these in. But I'm a bit more optimistic because we have to remember from back from the days of Taylor, the reason that they had to create Section 13 was there was no way for them to put this stuff into the criminal code without violating our charter rights, and we still have the charter rights. The whole po- point of Section 13 was to circumvent the charter mm-hmm. and our protections. So if they could have put it into criminal law back then, they would have done it and there would have been no need for Section 13. So even if they do manage to somehow get it in, I don't think it will stand a charter challenge. Well, it's interesting because in the paper, according to the National Post, they're they're saying, we firmly believe that the criminal code is the best vehicle for combating hate propaganda. That's speech. That's not action. That's right. So if you're now putting into the criminal code, criminalizing speech... I don't see that as being a plus in any way. Don't get me wrong, Bob. I'm not advocating that at all. No, not at all. This conservative government should not even think about putting hate propaganda laws into the criminal code. That is absolutely against the very fabric of what this country is about, freedom of speech. However, how are you going to get rid of this heinous proposition uh, where people's speech is, is thought of as being hateful? You take it out of the Human Rights Commissions first, put it in a court of law, then let the judges and the courts Why not use just get rid co- of it altogether and forget moving it around. We're talking politicians here, Bob. What do you <laughs> yeah. expect? Well, and not only that, to me, that means it'll never get solved. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. I'm hopeful, like Mark, maybe that the courts of law will deal with this properly and declare even this uh, aspect unconstitutional in the end. Unfortunately, I think somebody's going to have to foot the bill for that. And oh, it'll yes. probably be innocent victims. <laughs> An innocent yes, victim will sure. probably have to have deep pockets and take it to the Supreme Court to fight yeah. this. Now, something I just learned here while we were talking off the air you know, during the breaks was, Robert, you're bringing up that Section 13 does not apply to broadcast. No, 13.2 yes, specifically exempts broadcast facilities. And, yeah. and so one starts to think, well, what happens when you take that broadcast 
audio, video, whatever it is, and put it online. Well, I think the... Does it then become... I'm only guessing here, but I'm thinking that because we're a broadcast, we're actually going out over the airwaves, we are subject to the regulations of the Canadian uh, Radio and Telecommunications Commission, right? So the CRTC is already our censor. So if we're going through that, and of course Ed is in the other booth there saying, I'm your censor too, right? Because he's got his (laughs) finger over the button. (laughs) But once it's gone through this vetting process of the CRTC, I imagine then uh, it's okay to put it online. But who knows? In this country, I, I'm starting to wonder. Do you think the, the Internet is going to remain the wide open frontier that, that it's been known to be for the past, well, since it started? Or do you think the Internet's going to be a thing of the past as we know it today? I'm worried for it. I really am. I mean, it seems like we're being attacked on all sides. We we may be seeing the end of Section 13, but we've got the slap suit problems. We've got the government trying to bring in lawful access legislation. Um, you know, the, the the copyright legislation can be really draconian. Now, I've also heard rumors in the to the to the effect of you know what they call security that um, the Harper government is considering ordering all. Um, hubs, you know, people who run all email to, to store that email for years and years. Yeah, that's under the lawful access legislation. And well, that's part of that. They, yes. they ah. were going to try to push that through with their omnibus crime bill. And uh, we we made a huge outcry about that. Unfortunately, they, they didn't push it through with that. So it's going to get some debate in Parliament. And we've been working really hard. Openmedia.ca is an organization that's really fighting against lawful access. And uh, so hopefully they'll listen to us. I mean, it's it's really dangerous. Well, is that, that it? Anybody else got anything to wrap up? Because our hour is up, believe it or not. You anything asked about you wanna... uh, the future of the Internet? Yes. I think we need to be cautious and vigilant, but I'm still optimistic that we can stay ahead of the villains. As long as there's people like you going out there and resisting, but what about all those people that just say, well, I give up? You know, that's, that's the kind of person resist. who's always pa- paving the way for, for the worst society we keep living in. Yeah. And um, like, too bad we couldn't spend a whole hour just talking about we really haven't talked about the ideas that, that the government is finding offensive. There's or easily an hour in that. Oh, <laughs> and why they find them offensive. If you actually want to research those ideas, I would encourage people to go to your site and judge for themselves exactly what uh, Connie and Mark have on their uh, discussion board. It's freedominion.ca. And so we have, have a, a whole forum on censorship. Yeah, the censorship we certainly do forum. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may not always agree, but the right to disagree is the fundamental thing in a free society. I want to thank both of you for coming for the third time all the way to London to be on our show. It's our pleasure. Okay, well, we thanks. enjoyed this. Thanks very much. And we've got to go for another week, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be on I'm trying to get I'm trying to get unbrainwashed, man Like, you know, the world Sometimes, you know, they socialize you, you, you They want you to, like, obey orders And it freaks you out You ever do that? Like, you ever walk in a bank Nobody's in there But you still walk through the ropes <laughs> Say, why am I doing this?